You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 High FM. Hello, you're listening to 101.9 High FM. My name is Rabbi Levi Avzan, Associate Rabbi Linksfield Schull here on the Soul to Soul Show. The Farbringen every Tuesday from 1 to 2 in the afternoon. It is a pleasure and an honor to be here with you. And today I'm going to pose a question, which I would love to hear your thoughts. It's a bit random, but you'll see it's not. It might sound random. Here's the question. Why is it that some of the dumbest ideas of how to make the world a better place come on university campuses all around the world? Why is it that some of the biggest radicals are the biggest professors? Why is it that so many people who are these incredible academics, etc., come up with the worst ideas of how to make the world a better place? How is it that people with many degrees don't seem to have the common sense of how to do anything for anybody. Is university and are the studies that we teach our kids the real studies that we need for a normal life? That's the question I'm going to ask today. But before we dig deep into it, let's start off with some music. Here is Lechna by Chaim Israel. Enjoy. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 High FM. Good afternoon. This is Rabbi Levi Avzan, and it's a privilege and an honor to be here sharing the mic with you. This will be our last show for 2017. Um, please, God, in the next few weeks we'll have some replays. And it's incredible to be with you live on, the, on this day. And today we chose what might seem as an abstract concept, but I think there's room to explore this together. And that is the idea that often the dumbest ideas of how to make the world a better place come from the bi- most clever people on the planet. Intellectuals, professors, um, students in university. Some of the biggest mass murderers in history weren't idiots by any stretch of imagination, but their ideas were idiotic. Somehow having a good brain and having a good education has very little to do with making the world a better place. It might give you some better jo- opportunity at getting a job, but it doesn't necessarily make our world more peaceful. I mean, just think of Mr. Mugabe who just stepped down, and how many degrees did he have? Um, seven, that's right. <laughs> D- didn't exactly make Zimbabwe a... As they say, he took a country that was a breadbasket and turned it into a basket case. Um, we overstate the value of cleverness. So let's talk about this for a moment. You know that old statement, many people attribute it to many people, and that is, if you're not a communist at the age of 20, you have no heart. If you're still a communist at the age of 30, you have no brain. Often, young people, and I'm young myself, so I'm not going to be doing the, the youth bashing uh, gig right now, but often young people without guidance of well-experienced people on this planet, could come with great ideas that sound idealistic, but aren't practical. And that's why communism, until it was proven to be a total disaster for this world, was the religion of the young folk. Right now we're celebrating 100 years, almost to the day, since the Russian Revolution that brought in the first major communist regime, in the former Soviet Union, and then followed not too long after by China, and eventually by Cambodia, and North Korea, and all the other wonderful ideas of communism. And 100 years later, we can 
say with a broken heart that communism has killed at least 100 million people in just one century and has killed more than pretty much any other ideology in history. Even fascism, Nazism, didn't kill as many people as communism. And the ridiculous thing is that in this country and in other countries, there's still people who vote for the Communist Party. Now, what is it about communism that gets people to be so attracted to it? Very simple. It feels good. Communism is one of those ideas that feel good. It feels good that we should all be equal. It feels good to scream about the 1% wealthy people and how they're making too much money. And therefore, all money should become equal. And who should give out the money equal? Me or the government. And somehow it never works. So anybody who's studied any form of communism anywhere in the world would be the first one to admit it's a disaster. As is socialism. Socialism is not as bad as communism, but look at Venezuela and see what happens when you go too far to socialism. And yet... We have in the United States and we have here in this country the socialists who are convinced that they're going to figure out a way to make an idea which has proven to be ridiculous time and time again to make it right. What is it about people who think that ideas who've ne that never worked in real life will actually work? And that is that we don't ask, ask ourselves what works in real life. We ask ourselves in theory. There's many of us who live in this world theoretical. We ask us, what would the world need? Many people walking around universities who think they know how to live a life, but ultimately because they've never had a job at the day of their life, they have no idea about real life. Do you remember when you took your test to drive, but not your actual test that you got in the car? You went and you got your learner's permit. Now, even if you got 100% on your learner's permit, if I put you in a car right after that, what are the chances that you would actually drive two blocks without crashing? Nothing. But what do you mean? I read the whole book. I know exactly what it says. I know what a stop sign means, and I know what a yield sign means, and I know uh, where the pedal is, and I know where the brake is. I am an absolute genius. Really, I'm so proud of you. You are a genius, and therefore, please stay out of my way when you're driving the car, because we don't have room for geniuses. We just want people on the road who can drive. Somehow, when it comes to other parts of life, we think, oh, just because that person has 14 degrees under their belt, or 8 degrees under the belt, or as uh, they, um, they've studied politics, so they definitely know about politics. And they've studied history, so they definitely know how to live a good life. And they've studied marriage, so they, ha they definitely know how to be married. Well, I've met many people who've read almost every book that can possibly be on marriage and have shocking marriages. Why? Because even if you read all the books on marriage, if you don't go into the marriage and figure it out and get yourself a little beaten up in the process, you won't have a clue. You could read all the books there are about driving, but until you get in the car and you figure out what it means to sit in the driver's seat and figure out with your foot how to go between the pedal and the brake and how the steering wheel works and how the gears work if you're driving a shift car until you don't know that you have no idea what you're doing. But there's so many people who think they know what they're doing because they know what the book says. So many kids walking out of school right now, all the metrics are finished. Oh, they, the marks are going to come out in a few weeks. But right now, everyone's posting on Facebook, congratulations to my son, congratulations to my daughter. They finished metric. And let me ask you a uh, question, my dear honey. Awesome. Mazel tov. You should be healthy and wealthy and everything should be blessed upon you. But what exactly did you learn about life? 
now that you walk down, even if you got eight distinctions, what do you know about life? Jack diddly squat. Maybe you learned a little bit about working hard. Fine, we'll give that. But the bigger picture, we know very little. When are you going to learn about life? Not even in university, which is a great thing. Go to university and you get the degree. The only time you're going to start learning life is when you get into the workplace and you get into real life. And suddenly somebody says something that offends your uh, sensibilities and you have to get on with it. And suddenly um, being sick is not an excuse every other day for coming to school late. And suddenly you don't get six months off. Oh, wait, well, how does that work in universities over here? There's more days off than days on. Never mind. But I never found a job that gave us as many days off as university. But if university is supposed to be a preparation for life, surely you should be studying as many days as you will be working. No, no. Poor kids, they're working too hard. And suddenly they come into the workplace and they say, Edge, I want a three-month holiday from mid-November to mid-February because that's what I'm used to. And how long do you last in your job? 30 seconds, then you're kicked out with a big kick and please don't come back. We give you two, three weeks a year and cheers. Oh, come on, man. I went to university, but they told me that this is going to get me ready for life. Hmm. The point is, life is not a book. Life is living. Marriage is not a manual, and driving is not a manual, and being a decent person is not a manual. Yes, study is important because that's the place you learn about it. But then, life begins when you take the book and start implementing it. When you take an abstract idea and you actually take it into a world which is not black, not white, it's gray, it's complex, it's difficult, it's challenging, it is nuanced. And in that world, you try to make sense of reality, and that is when life starts. But as long as you sit there screaming quotes, as long as the knowledge is abstract, as long as the knowledge has not been implemented, you could tell me all the great tips about marriage. But chances are, if you're standing there screaming that you know exactly how to be married, I'd venture to say, you've never been married before. Because if you were married, you would realize there's books and there's reality. And life happens in the marriage between books and reality. And you wouldn't be so cocky and confident that you have the answers to anything if you were actually living. This is 101.9 Chai FM. We've only started the conversation here. But it's almost Hanukkah, and I would like to play for you some music. And this music is... Light up the nights here on 101.9 Chai FM from Miami Boys Choir. Light up the nights. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avtzan on 101.9 Chai FM. This is Rabbi Levi Avtzan on 101.9 Chai FM. And DJ, it's good to have you back in the chair. It's good to have you. And today we're talking about why having abstract knowledge isn't enough. You have to actually live life. You could know everything there is to know about everything and still be clueless about absolutely everything because life is an interesting space. It's a space between what the book says and the reality and how to implement what the book says into reality is a very nuanced, personal and complicated job. And let me not be misunderstood. Obviously, whatever the book says on specifically, we're talking about the five books of Moses, the Torah is absolutely true. And to implement it, however, in each one of us does it in many ways in our own individual way. So, for example, there's a commandment to pray every day, to daven. 
Now, maybe we all say the same words, but the emotion we give to it, the way we say the words, the, the, the thoughts we have are very, very personal and are very much based on the reality of our life. So you could sit there going to 50 courses on prayer, but until you actually start living life, prayer is a very abstract concept. I remember I was a teenager and they told us to pray. And honestly, what does a teenager know about love? We think we know about love, right? But we know, we, know, we know very little about any kind of love. We don't know what it means to love our parents. We don't know what it means to, um, to have a love in a marriage. We don't know what it means to love children. We, we, we don't really know what it means even to love our friends. There's not, that we, it's a very abstract concept. So then they said, they're telling you, sit and pray, and start loving God. You, you don't even know what you're talking about, man. You could try, and chances are you'll feel something, but it's very, very... Unauthentic. Now, it's as authentic as the kid can be. Kids are kids. Then You don't expect a 16-year-old to have the life experience of a 60-year-old. But you can understand that the 16-year-old usually, hopefully, doesn't have too much life experience. It's actually unfortunate when a 16-year-old has too much life experience. That means that their life has been miserable and they've seen too much. But if the kids had a relatively normal life, they hopefully had a little life experience, but not too much. But then life moves on, please God, and you start having a family with God's blessings, and you start having to pay bills, and the bills don't always fit up with the paycheck, and you're finding yourself praying on a Tuesday morning, and suddenly the prayer is coming out a little different than when you were 16. Now you're saying, God, listen, almighty brother, um, father, king, whatever. I don't know how to tell you this. I need another 20 grand this month. I don't know what we're going to do about this, but uh, unless you want my house to go um, insolvent and I have to give it back to the bank, I need 20 grand. I don't know what to tell you, God. And sometimes God laughs at you, and sometimes God says yes, sometimes God says no, sometimes you never know. But the point is, suddenly you're praying from a very authentic place. And suddenly, you know what love is. So even if you don't, even if life is great, but and you're not necessarily asking God to shower down money, but you know what it means to love. You know what you love that you have for your spouse. You know the love you have for your children. Now suddenly, love is not an abstract concept. So when it says love God, even though it's harder because we can't see God and it's not as tangible, you at least know what you're talking about. But if you sat locked up as a monk, okay, and you never had a family or none, and you, and you just were a hermit in a cave, you could talk about love all you want, but you don't know what love is. You have no clue. You don't understand the complexity of love. Love is a very complex thing. You know, when you watch the movies, love is always happens at the end of the story, right? He meets her, and they, for two hours, there's a whole drama. Will they end up together? Will they not end up together? And two hours later, they end up together. The problem is that's when the movie starts. Love is the when it starts. Now they have to actually make a life for themselves. Just because you fell in love with another person, just because you love your child, doesn't mean that for the next 60 years or 80 years together with your child, you're never going to have a bumpy road. You definitely will. Love is complex. So therefore, if all you know love is from the books, chances are, or for the movies, you think that love is just this feeling... You know, you stand by the marriage ceremony and red roses are flowing down from the seal, from the, from all over and young little girls are throwing 
pedals on the floor, and you're just like, this is heaven. Okay, but the problem is, first of all, you wouldn't be able to afford to have the rest of your life like that. You're not going to spend 200 grand every night for the rest of your life. But besides the fact, it's not real. It's awesome, but it's not real. Love is a journey. Like any relationship, awe, fear, respect. Any idea out there is not an idea until it's been beaten up by real life. Until you've taken an idea and tested it in your own life, tested it on other people, you cannot say if it's a good idea or not. And like we mentioned earlier, you could argue from today to tomorrow about the great things of Karl Marx's communism. But I will show you facts. The facts are it's killed 100 million people and no idea in history has been as detrimental to the human condition as communism. So no. You could sit there talking to me in abstract about ideas of race, but when I show you what race has done, you you have to agree that's nonsense. Right? The Nazis, so much of their philosophy was based on ideas of race. So much of a party was based on ideas of race. And they always had the scientists to back them up. There was always clever people behind every crazy idea. It wasn't always only idiots who bought into Hitler's craziness or into racism or to anti-Semitism or to any ideas. Some of the biggest minds in the world are straight out anti-Semites or racists. Because... As long as the idea is not brought into real life, as long as you don't have, you're not forced to actually see, does this make a world a better place? You can have all the ideas of it. It, 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 costs, it costs nothing to have crazy ideas. And it, it usually works politically very well to have crazy ideas. Think about what's going on, what went on in Zimbabwe. They managed to destroy a whole country all with great ideas. We'll take back land and ba 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 ba. And 37 years later. And even in this country, so many of the ideas that are coming out there, they feel so nice. They, they absolutely feel great. They're justice and they're going to make this country better. Now, how about look at every other country that tried the exact same thing and see, did it make the world better? No, irrelevant. It's going to make us better. Don't, how does the expression go? Don't bother me with facts. Life happens when we take the ideas because ideas are important. We're human beings. We're thinkers. And then we take the idea into the real world. Think about a medicine. Imagine I have a great medicine that will solve cancer. So you and I are sitting down, please God, that such a medicine should come out. And we decide if you mix, you know, we're two chemists and we decide if we mix this thing with this thing, etc., we can create a medicine. You don't try it on anybody and you send it straight into the marketplace and you sit there saying, hey, we have the solution. Are you crazy? Before you put out any medicine, it has to be tested on people. Right? That's what the FDA is for. That's what there's international governance on making sure that whatever medicine hopefully enters the market has gone through enough studies to at least be a very calculated risk. But somehow ideas don't have to go through that. Every, sorry for my French, every nutcase with an idea can come up and share an idea without asking themselves, maybe it's going to destroy my country. Think about the political parties over here in this country. Every idea that's coming out of all these parties is genius? No. Some of them are just to get your votes because they feel good. But no one's asking one second. How much of the world will I destroy if these ideas be implemented? No, 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 no. It makes people feel good. Everyone's screaming in the stadium. Yeah, vote for them. 
Hitler also started with ideas. And I'm not comparing anybody in this country to Hitler, heaven forbid. But the point is that words have power. So just throw words out there, to throw ideas out there that have been tried and tested and proven to be disasters. Boggles the mind. And yet everybody fall, not everybody, many people fall into the same traps of ideologies over and over and over again. You'd think after thousands of years of documented human history, we would look and sit there saying, "Mm, let's do studies and see what works and what doesn't. Let's put all the philosophies of how to live a life down on the table and see which one works. So, for example, religion. Everybody, when it comes to religion, goes to one extreme or the other. Either they say, no religion, because look, look how bad religious people are. Or they say, absolute religion and just radicalism, because look how bad the atheists are. I mean, you know, communists were atheists, etc., But how about we actually have a conversation and say, let's look at history and see what was the best way to live. It doesn't have to be either or. 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 It can be religion in a certain way, non-radical religion. Maybe that's the answer. Go and study and say, "Um, let's look at the Jewish people over 4,000 years. Or let's look at even other religions and see when people have had nice, balanced religion. Was it good for them or bad for them? And then based on the statistics, let's do the scientific method and say, chances are... If it's always proven to work or not to work, then let's go there or not go there. No, everyone's coming up with new ideas about how to make the world a better place. You'd think that in this continent, in Africa, we look back and we say, okay, what ideas, which countries have worked, which countries haven't? What worked, what didn't? Without getting all emotional, without mixing your own emotions, you're a liberal or conservative, you're this color or that color, irrelevant. Look at the facts. What's worked? The problem is that universities and place and people who are supposed to be intellectuals often become the most emotional people. And they're not making decisions based on what is right. They make decisions on based on what feels right. And, you know, I've grown up in America, which is a, a, a very lively democracy. Have you heard of America recently? I mean, there's you know, like the interesting politicians over there. This guy named Donald Trump. He's the president, by the way. No, sorry. Bernie Sanders didn't win. Um, and... Lively debate is incredible. But what I've seen in America, and I'm definitely seeing over here, is when the debate stops being about ideas and becomes more about personal. You want to have an argument about does taxing the rich work work or not? Let's debate it and look at the facts. So, for example, in certain countries that tax the rich on a higher percent than they tax the poor, does it work? Does it not? But stop getting all emotional and sit there saying, but they stole my money because the second you say that, you're not actually having a debate. So maybe they did steal your money. But if you steal the money back, do you think you're going to make the country better or not? Look at the facts. Look what happened in other places. Look what happened in Venezuela. Look what happened in any other country that adopted radical socialism. But again, it's, it, isn't it crazy, DJ, that very few people, when they, when they throw an idea out there, they ask themselves, is this idea good for humanity? Ask yourself, is it good? Stop saying, does it feel good? Is it good? And even within the Jewish community, everyone has ideas. In general, I'm saying not in specific Jewish, everyone has good ideas about what's good for the community. Right? Every single Friday night table, every Friday night table has many, many great philosophers who know exactly what he should do and she should do and this organization should do and that organization. Fantastic. But before you sit there pontificating your ideas, ask yourself one question. Does it work? Is it good? 
Will it work? And move your feelings aside. The problem is when we get so attached to our ideas because we think our identity is our ideas. To be able to be open-minded enough to ask ourselves and say, maybe that idea is absolutely ridiculous. I'm a young guy, but I've had quite a few ideas in my life. Some ideas worked, and some ideas were absolute disasters. And slowly I'm learning, too slowly, unfortunately, that uh, before you sit there sharing great ideas, think about the ramifications of those ideas. Because as long as the idea is an abstract concept, it's all nice. But what happens when people implement it? So, for example, so your friend comes to you and asks you for marriage advice. And you, with your tremendous successful marriages, uh, marriage, marriages, or successful, not successful, you convince yourself you have it all figured out. So you're not actually listening to their reality. You're trying to project your own reality onto them. So you start giving them advice which is absolutely pathetic. And then that person's life turns out belly up. And you're like, well, I don't know, whatever. I'm I'm not sure. I mean, the idea works. Judaism, the beauty of Judaism is it's it's a religion of learning, of knowledge, and it's in the religion of doing, of action. There's a famous debate in the Talmud that says, which one's greater, learning or action? And it says, action is greater, sorry, learning is greater because it leads to action. In other words, only an, a learning that leads to action. A learning that leads to activity. A learning that does not stay abstract behind the four walls of a shtetl. A learning that helps us go into the real world and make the world a better place. A learning that doesn't have stay abstract, but actually makes us into a mensch, into a decent person. A learning that allows us to be better spouses. A learning that when we come home, we don't blow our fuse and blow our temper on our children, but rather we use the learning to be able to control our very animal animalistic impulse to lose control, etc. That is learning that's real. But a learning that's abstract, a learning that's just theoretical, a learning that has no impact, a learning that, that can stay in the room of learning, but the second I walk out of there, I'm a very similar animal. I'll tell you a good story. Listen to the story. There was once a guy who heard that if he fasts for 40, if he doesn't talk any nonsense for 40 days, he will merit the revelation of the great prophet Elijah. Fantastic. So for 40 days, he watches everything he says. Doesn't, one word doesn't come out of his mouth. 40 days later, he wakes up in the morning. He's expecting Elijah to come on a white horse, but Elijah doesn't show up. See, so he comes to his great teacher. The name was Rabbi Sorolo Rajin. And he comes to him and he says, Rabbi, I don't understand. I didn't talk nonsense for 40 days. And Elijah didn't show up. The Ruzhenek says, come, follow me. Takes him to the barn. And in the barn is this beautiful horse. And the Ruzhenek takes his hand and starts going nice to the horse. Nice, nice, nice. Eventually, the guy's can't control himself. He says, Rebbe, Rabbi, I don't understand. Why, why, are you, why are you making nice to the horse? What's so special about the horse? He says, no, you don't understand. This horse hasn't spoken nonsense in 40 days. <laughs> you could not talk nonsense in 40 days and still be a horse. A person can sit there learning all the wonderful ethics and morality, but are you a decent person? Is it being implemented into your life or are you just a horse who sat in a lecture hall for 40 days? 
one day we're going to have AI, right? We already have AI. And you're going to be able to put AI in, um, in the lecture hall. And he or she, whatever, the, the AI, whatever gender the AI is going to be, is going to be sitting there on the seat and listening to all the lectures. But they're still not human. No matter how many lectures you're going to put Mr. AI in, it is not going to be human. No matter how much learning we do, until we bring it into real life, until we take it out of the abstract and bring it into our reality, into our complexity of lo- complex lives, it is not real. When does Torah become real? When does Judaism become real? When we bring it into our life. When we start treating people decently. When I walk out of the study hall and I, and I walk into my home and my spouse sees, ah, oh, this person is a changed person. This hour of learning didn't only change an idea in their head, it changed a feeling in the heart. It made them more human, more angelic, more beautiful. But when learning just becomes an exercise in abstraction, but it's not asked, how does it make your life better? Then in many ways it's defeating its purpose. The word Torah in Hebrew is comes from the word teaching, hurrah, lessons. Torah, when we learn Torah, there has to be a lesson. There has to be a relevant take-home message because that's what it is. It's a manual, it's God's manual for living. So learn, 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 learn. But download it into your heart. Let it not just stay some data in your brain. You're listening to 101.9 Chai FM. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM. My name is Rabbi Levi Avzan, and here we are in the last 10 minutes of the show. DJ, I'm sorry, brother, but we're not going to be here for the rest of the year. Um, hopefully you'll find, find some interesting stuff to play. So let's wrap this up. We're going into the holidays. Holidays is a time of reflection. Less, a little bit than less action and a little more time reflection. And we have to grab this opportunity as much as we can and actually reflect on our life. Take a pause and reflect. But realize that the point of life is not to reflect. The point of life is to take the reflection and lead it then to action. Reflection is important only if it leads to action. Read those great books on relationships and read those great books on business. But then go implement it. Stop being a professor of marriage and be happily married. Stop being a professor of business and do business. Stop being a professor of ethics. Do ethics. You know how many... Nazi Germany, before World War II, they were, many of them, the kings of ethics. They had many, many geniuses who taught ethics. And many of those geniuses, somehow, within their world of ethics, took on the craziest ideas of the human mind has ever come up with. Unless we're able to give ourselves over to a higher power, and unless we're able to see if these ideas are actually good, and the only being who can tell us if these ideas are good is God. And therefore, any idea that we come up with, we have to sit there and comparing it to, the, to God's word, and say, does it fit? Great. Does it not fit? Ridiculous. So, for example, Hitler's mach- uh, crazies came up with an idea that uh, people should be killed at the beginning. It was disabled people and gypsies and Jews, etc. Look in the five books of Moses. What is the 
sixth commandment that God said, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder. It doesn't say you can murder invalids. It doesn't say you can murder gays. It doesn't say you can murder Jews. So now you actually look at it and say, one second, does it fit? I don't care if your wonderful philosophy of genetics and race seem to imply some. Does it fit? No. I don't care how high your IQ is. You can have an IQ of 165. But if it doesn't fit with God's word, it's nonsense. All these wonderful ideas. Take land. Steal land from this person, etc. The eighth commandment of the Ten Commandments is thou shall not steal. If your idea of saving South Africa has anything to do with stealing, then you can be guaranteed God doesn't like it. And if God doesn't like it, it ain't good. If your idea of being youth is standing up to your parents and talking to them obnoxiously and having no relationship with your parents and grandparents and throwing old people away as if they're used machinery, then open the first fifth commandment where it says, Thou shall honor thou father and that mother. And say, one second, is the way I'm treating my parents fitting the bill or not? No. Cheers. You consider saying that lying under oath is better for yourself and better for corruption, right? How many lies have been said in this country under oath? I never did this. I never did that. I never did. The ninth commandment is don't lie under oath. That's it. How many people walk around sitting saying, oh, why does Bill Gates drive such a fancy car? I also deserve the car. And uh, What does the 10th commandment say? That shall not, thou shall not be jealous. Sorry, brother. You want to go buy a fancy car? Great. But stop screaming why he or she is driving a fancy car because it's that jealousy. And jealousy, according to God, who's the creator of heaven and earth and the creator of you, he says it ain't good. Imagine we lived a life that every idea that came to us, we ask ourselves, does it fit the manual? Does it fit with God's vision? And that's the crazy thing how people like ISIS or Al-Qaeda or people who claim to be religious consider going against religion itself. Religion says thou shalt not kill. What religion are you following? Religious people who can sometimes beat their spouse. Look what the, the religion says about the way you're supposed to treat your wife. The way you're supposed to raise your child. What are you doing? How can you corrupt God's word like that? How can people treat animals so disrespectfully often? When one of the seven commandments given to all humankind is, do not eat a piece of live animal. Respect the animal kingdom. Respect the world that God created. How can we so often do things which are fundamentally against the betterment of our world. Do you know that according to the Torah, you're not allowed to destroy a tree that bears fruit? It's one of the 613 commandments. You're not allowed to destroy a tree that bears fruit. So if anyone sits there saying that the five books of Moses doesn't care about the environment, it's nonsense. Of course it does. Any tree that bears fruit has to be respected. These ideas which... You know, we think that we're coming up with the most innovative ideas of how to make the world a better place, etc., etc., etc. It's all there. Ask yourself one question when you come home and you're about to lose your temper at somebody in your family. Does God allow you to lose your temper? 
It says in the Talmud that whoever loses their temper, it says, if they serve idolatry. And idolatry is the greatest sin. So you're not allowed to lose your temper. You're not allowed to be jealous. Imagine we could live a life that instead of all of us trying to come up with philosophies of making the world a better place, we actually look at God's book and said, what did the creator of heaven and earth actually say to make the world a better place? What do you think? you think God put you into the world, DJ, and didn't tell you how to live a good life? What do you think? He just threw you in, clueless? He gave you a book and he says, look, for 5,000 years it's worked. Look at the people who followed the book and look at people who haven't followed the book. Which one worked better? The book. So stop coming up with crazy ideas. Why does anyone in this beautiful country of South Africa think that the solution is anything other than all of us trying to become better people? You want a simple solution? Let's open up a new political party. It goes like this. Everyone tries to respect one another. Everyone tries to help one another. Not by force, but with kindness. Nobody cares about what gender you are and what color you are. We just respect one another. We care about you. We all listen to what God wants. We stop using race and hatred as an excuse to put each other down. We stop abusing women and children. We just act nice. And we try to help people who are impoverished do better. Not by forcing anybody, but by creating a culture that help and kindness is normal and nice. No, no, I don't think that political party will... It, it, no, it's, it's too simplistic. No, 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 no. Let's steal. Let's this. Let's that. Ba, 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 ba. Everybody scream that they care about the poor the most, and that's the way we're going to do it. Honestly, politics is great, as long as it fits with what God wants for this world. The second politics becomes a way of just getting votes on the expense of what's actually good for the world. And using race baiting and other ideas to, to create animosity within our country. I love South Africa. That's my final message of the year. I love this place. And we must, and I don't know how many people I'm talking to tonight, now, if it's five, five hundred, five thousand, five million. <laughs> we never know, right? We must do whatever we can to not allow this country to be hijacked by people who are offering simplistic, idiotic decisions and solutions to our problems. There are no simplistic solutions. The solutions are to create a healthy, normal society, which will take time. Do not listen to anybody who's, who uses hatred as a basis to solve the problems. Hatred has never solved a problem. Even if it's justified, hatred has never solved anything. Even if your spouse did everything wrong, if you hate her or hate him, you won't create a happy marriage. If we want this country to be a happy marriage, to be healthy, we have to ask ourselves what works. Hatred doesn't work. Screaming and shouting doesn't work. Slogans don't work. You know what works? Goodness, kindness, love, compassion, forgiveness. The Ten Commandments, 613 Commandments of God, slowly but surely building a society based on the Constitution, based on rights and values and responsibilities. No, you're not going to fix it in one election cycle. So stop, whichever politician you are, stop screaming that you're going to fix all the problems. Politicians don't fix anything. People fix everything. What did people think in America? Hillary Clinton will solve it. Donald Trump will solve everything. It's a year later. Politicians don't solve nothing. The most they could do is get out of the way. 
people solve. Ethics solves. Love solves. So let's bring a little more love. What do you say, DJ? It's a good message to finish off the year. Agreed. Great. Wishing you all a great end of the year. Have a good holiday. Chillax. Meditate. Do whatever it takes to get yourself back in. Please, God, we'll be back in a few weeks' time. Wishing you all a good week. A early Shabbat Shalom. Happy Hanukkah and only good things. Here on 101.9 Chai FM signing off. This is Rabbi Levi Aftson from Linksfield Shul. Goodbye. <laughs>